0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Euros with Football Social Daily.
2: They've been waiting 23 years to return to major tournament football, but Hampden Park was hushed yesterday by the Czech Republic in Euro 2020. It might take another 23 years before we see a Euros goal as special as Patrick Schick's effort for the Czechs yesterday afternoon. You can forget goal of the tournament. After that stunning effort condemned Stevie Clark's side to Group D defeat, I think Schick has already got it sewn up. But did Scotland show enough promise to worry England on Friday? Do they have what it takes to qualify? We'll discuss how the Tartan army fared on today's Football Social Daily. We'll also be looking at the group of death. Pool F kicks off tonight with Germany, France and Portugal all in action. One of those sides will face the winner of England's group. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, keeping you across all the big talking points from Euro 2020. So hit subscribe now and that way you won't ever miss an episode again. I'm Niall McCorn and seeing as Germany do play tonight and Scotland played yesterday, there was only one man for punditry duty On today's show, it's our half-German, half-Scottish, straight-talking Stefan Armstrong. How's things, Steph? Oh, yes. It's it's time for proper football again. None of this Premier
1: League nonsense. It's Euros, (laughs) it's international, it's Germany going for the
2: Cup, it's Scotland trying not to lose all three games. I love it, man! I love it. So, who do you actually support in this instance? Being half Scottish, half German, because the last time both Scotland and Germany were at a major tournament would have been well, it would have been 1998, wouldn't it? Wasn't in this century. So, who do you support? Um, both. <laughs> <laughs> both.
1: I'm, I'm supporting. I'm supporting Germany for the win. I'm supporting Scotland almost just to annoy everybody else as well. But uh, it's it's a great kind of free way thing to have, you know. This this uh, you know being brought up in Yorkshire but uh, being half Scottish half German uh, it's great because it means although I never win a game I never miss a penalty
2: (laughs) I love it my friend Max actually he's half Swedish half English and he's always supported England through his whole life until the last World Cup where he said, I'm fed up of support in England. They always let me down. I'm going to support Sweden instead. And then England went and beat them in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I was like, you couldn't have picked a worse time poor to start choice. supporting Sweden. Poor yeah, choice. poor choice. Also joining us for today's show, we've got Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports. How are you enjoying the Euro so far, Leon?
3: I think it's been a good tournament so far. Um, there's been plenty of goals, uh, plenty of goal mount action. And obviously the best news of all, and look, um, everyone has spoke about it, but it looks as if Christian Eriksen is going to be okay. So hmm. from that perspective, that's the best news. It's, it matters a lot more than football, but in terms of the games that we've actually watched, I think it's been enjoyable
2: yeah absolutely and and that's where we're going to start you're right Leon it certainly has been a memorable start to the Euros nobody can deny that we've seen some brilliant football some unbelievable goals as well but we've also seen something that nobody ever wants to see on a football pitch and that came on Saturday afternoon where the football world did hold its breath after Christian Eriksen shockingly collapsed during that Denmark versus Finland game it, it was a harrowing scene and one which really sort of brought the insignificance of football into sharp focus like you say but thanks to the swift and incredible incredible actions of the Danish team, the referee, the medical staff. A, a man's life was saved on Saturday night and Christian Eriksen, thankfully, is still with us. Eriksen collapsed just before half-time and the game was rightly suspended in my opinion. But to the surprise of many, the Denmark versus Finland game actually resumed about an hour and a half later after Eriksen was confirmed as conscious and in hospital receiving treatment. The official line from UEFA was, following the request made by the players of both teams, UEFA has agreed to restart the match between Denmark and Finland tonight. Peter Schmeichel, obviously legendary Denmark goalkeeper, part of their 1992 Euro winning campaign, also legendary in the Premier League with Manchester United. His son Casper is obviously the goalkeeper for the Danish national team at the moment. He made some interesting comments yesterday, Stefan, on national TV here in the UK about what his take on the situation is. He revealed that he knows the truth to be different to what was come out in the press and and what was sort of released by UEFA regarding the restarting of this Denmark versus Finland game. Obviously, he's got an excellent source considering his son is in the team. He said the players were only given three options by UEFA in dealing with the situation. They either do what they did and restart the match as soon as possible that same day. They either come in at 12pm the next day and finish the match before the other games kicked off. Or they concede the game, they forfeit 3-0 to Finland. So basically what Peter Schmeichel was suggesting is Denmark was backed into a corner regarding the situation. Does that surprise you? What what do you what do you think about the whole thing? Nah, it doesn't surprise me one bit. It's his classic UEFA
1: playing politicians, by the sounds of it. And all 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 the uh, all the kind of um negative chat about uefa from the way they handle things uh, both from managers and and football players and and clubs as well you can see why they wanted to have this uh, european super league breakaway thing if uh, but just because of the way uefa tend to handle things um it's almost it's really clunky it's really awkward um and it sounds to me like um they did a classic politicians move um and they've given denmark um Two really quite bad choices and one okay choice to play the next day at twelve o'clock, um, and um, they've come out and said, "Oh, both both teams wanted to play Finland, Finland and Denmark wanted to play." Um, so it doesn't it doesn't sound great to be honest uh, from from UEFA's point of view. I don't see why a um, they couldn't have just uh, said, "Right, it was nil nil at the time. Um, let's call it a draw um, under the circumstances." or just play it and again at a later time um, and maybe maybe don't have it televised in every single country, have it on red buttons. I mean, what does it really matter at the end of the day? Um, it seems to me like they wanted to keep to a schedule um, and they've, they've uh, given Denmark and Finland, um, but more so Denmark, one option and told the public another thing. Um, and it sounds classic UEFA, so that's why people constantly have an issue with that um, with those guys as a governing body in football,
2: it felt like a bit of an ultimatum. Leon, listening to what Peter Schmeichel had to say about the situation, personally, when the game restarted after about five minutes of the of the second half, because they had to play the end of the first half to begin with, I turned it off because it just it just didn't feel right. It felt like it just felt completely empty as a game. You know, no one was thinking about the match by the end of it. So, what's your take on what Peter Schmeichel's had to say?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was amazed that the game was actually played um, on Saturday. I just couldn't actually fathom how any player, whether it be Denmark or even Finland, could go out and play after witnessing what they just did to one of their fellow players. I mean, psychologically, their, their, their heads must have been completely all over the place. I mean, if, if, if these were the three options that were afforded to Denmark, then they should have taken the one at 12 o'clock the next day because at least they could have went back to their hotel. They could have been in a group together. And as we have saw, thank God, Ericsson seems to be progressing and seems to be getting a little better slowly but surely. But to echo what Stefan said, I mean, even to put that heavy-handedness on a side that has just witnessed one of their mates one of their friends, one of their star players go through what he had to go through in front of their eyes. They should have been given as much time as they needed. There's more important things than finishing a football match at a competition. Like, let's get this very clear now. Football is totally insignificant to what happened to Christian Eriksen. So if this was what was said to them, I think it is very heavy-handed. I don't think it's the right approach. I mean, what was to say that they couldn't have played that game yesterday before Scotland kicked off at two o'clock? Denmark are not due to play again until Thursday. So surely they should have been given as much time as was possible in terms of, okay, Eriksen, thankfully, is on the mend. We need you to try and finish your first group game. Your second group game is down, I think it's 5 o'clock on Thursday against Belgium. So whenever you guys feel it's right that you can finish that first game and then be able to line up at 5 o'clock on the 17th for your second game, you tell us, surely that would have been a better approach to actually put it in Denmark's hands. And I'm sure the Finnish FA would have went along with it no matter what because you're just trying to help the players get through as best they can as to what they've just witnessed. If this is true, it's not right.
2: No, I'd agree with that 100%. And also those people that are saying, oh, it wouldn't have been fair for sporting integrity of the competition. Who cares about that? A man's nearly lost his life on the pitch and all you're thinking about is sport and integrity. And as you rightly point out, Leon, it affected the Finland players as much as the Denmark players.
3: Absolutely. I mean,
2: they were they were visibly shaken as well. So if you're talking about who's got the unfair advantage, I don't think it falls either way. Because both teams were clearly shaken and everyone watching the television was clearly shaken by what they saw.
3: And I mean, I think you've seen the camaraderie between the two sets of players. They were both trying to help each other as much as they possibly could. Um, It doesn't matter which side that the particular player has been affected. It's a player. It's one of your fellow professionals. So it doesn't matter who was playing or what side that particular player was from. It affected everybody who was in that stadium, everybody who was around him. It just, you know, sometimes we've got to realise that the game that we love is far insignificant to someone's health. It just is, and this is what matters. And you know, for people like Peter Schmeichel to come out now and start saying, "Look, this is what really happened," you know, this this shouldn't happen. Full stop. It really should not happen. And I think I think I was watching Ces Um He was actually totally dismayed as how this game could actually be played. He couldn't, he couldn't actually put it into words when he was asked, I think, by Gary Lineker. Fabregas was just totally in shock as to how the game was even going on. He could not actually understand it. So he's a fellow pro. He's, he's played the game at the highest level. So he knows better than any of us speaking on this podcast exactly what's going through these players' minds. And he couldn't, for the life of him, understand why the game was finished i was actually watching the game and you know when you watch a game and you're not even thinking about the game you're actually just kind of watching players kick a football about but it didn't matter what happened in that game i was just thinking about ericsson so i can only imagine what the guys who've grown up with him with who've spent time with him who've who've classed him as a close friend what must they have been going through it just beggars belief
2: hundred percent and He's not just a player, he's a person as well, with a family and friends and people who care about him. I think that that is the most important thing. Uh, And as we've said before on the podcast, and as we mentioned yesterday as well, all of our thoughts uh, and wishes are with Christian Eriksen, who thankfully uh, has released a, a message on his social media this morning saying that he feels okay. Uh, and he posted a picture of himself smiling with his thumb up. So hopefully um, he has a speedy recovery. We don't know just yet whether he will be able to play football again, but thankfully he is in better health than what we saw him Uh, on Saturday afternoon, thankfully. So rather concerning uh, comments from Peter Schmeichel regarding the way the game uh, was restarted between Denmark and Finland. I'm sure we'll find out more uh, as the weeks roll on. But again, thoughts with Christian Eriksen there. We'll also be talking about Scotland against the Czech Republic. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall. Alongside me, I've got Leon and I've got Stefan. And Stefan, Scotland, first game in a major tournament for 23 years. First group game at Hampden Park. Well, I don't think they've ever played a, a tournament game at Hampden Park or on home soil, have they, Scotland? They've waited a long time. To get to this point, I said yesterday to Jim on the podcast that Scotland should enjoy the moment, enjoy the build up, take in the occasion and just try and have as much fun as possible. And Jim said I was being defeatist. (laughs) Um, It was defeat in the end for Scotland. They lost 2-0 to the Czech Republic. What's your takeaways from the performance after such a long wait to get back to a major tournament? You were right. They
1: should have enjoyed it. And I think for a good half an hour, they did. I mean, the preamble before the match was brilliant when Flower of Scotland was belting out before the game it was emotional it was beautiful everything was set up perfectly um, but at the end of the day it was a story of missed chances against chances taken and you can't say that the Czech Republic team had easier chances than Scotland did they just took their chances really well so that's how I would sum it up um, the biggest thing for me though uh, and I've got to say it was a, a Steve Clark selection disaster I think you
2: just you just chose the wrong team where do you think the mistakes are made by the manager?
1: Um, it was obviously unlucky that Kieran uh, Tierney couldn't couldn't play with injury, but I just think he, he chose the wrong Celtic contingency. Um, Christie struggled during the game. I thought he was a bit of a passenger, uh, and you kind of want players you can unlock unlock this uh, Czech Republic defence. Um, get Forrest on. Get um, McGregor playing. Even Turnbull. Just I think he just chose the wrong players. Um, I mean, everybody was shocked that Lyndon Dykes was starting up front. I mean. He scored 12 goals in the championship last year. It's fine, but play Shea Adams. He's, he's kind of uh, proven. I know, I know you're not a biggest fan of him being Southampton, but he's kind of proven at a premiership level. Um, he's better than what they have. 100%, yeah. And then and then the last 20 minutes or so, uh, a desperate roll of the dice. You bring on Kevin Nisbet, a hip striker who... I mean, Hibs have got a, a long-time hoodoo at Hamden Park. They never score a goal there. So you bring him on, It just it just seemed... Seemed a little bit desperate to me, and to to, to add on top of that, um, other players uh, just just didn't seem to play well. I thought Hanley was struggling at the back; he was out of his depth. Jack Hendry was struggling. He um, it, it kind of made a mistake for that second goal, you could say. O'Donnell was struggling, so the, the whole thing just seemed to me like Celt- um, Celtic uh, Scotland were just struggling a little bit. Uh, so I wasn't a fan of this the selection from Steve Clark. Um, and it was all kind of summed up by uh, Andy Robertson's uh, big miss in the first half. I think if that goes in, Scotland go 1 0 up after, after 25 30 minutes. It's, it's a different story. But as soon as they go down, um, Schick's, a, Schick's a great footballer. He scored 13 goals in the Bundesliga last season. Um, he, he, he's, he's shown that he can. He's, he's almost like the Danny Ings of the Bundesliga. And that's just a little bit too good for that Scotland back line.
2: Yeah, I mean, the header, the wonder goal, we'll come on to that in a second. How big an issue do you think it is, Leon, for Steve Clark that his two best players both play in the same position, Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson, two left-backs, they're easily Scotland's two best players, in my opinion, so it's always going to be a conundrum to try and fit both in during the tournament.
3: Yeah, look, it is. Um, it's a huge blow. I mean, hopefully, I think Tierney, from a Scottish perspective, are they saying he's going to be OK for Wembley? Um, so that'll be a big plus to have him back on Friday night and it's just, it's the link up play between the two of them one, obviously Robertson starts wing back but it doesn't mean that you don't see Tierney bomb forward sometimes and Robertson will just tuck in but how on earth Steve Clark picks Lyndon Dykes who plays for (laughs) Queen's Park Rangers over Shea Adams who starts for Southampton in the Premier League. I I was absolutely baffled. I really... I no, I mean, but like this is serious. This is like you've waited nearly a quarter of a century to play at the Euros. You're playing at home at Hampden Park in front of 12,000 people and you pick a championship striker ahead of a Premier League striker. It's no disrespect to Dykes, but I'm just trying to illustrate the point that you've got to pick your best players. And surely, Shea Adams, who's a Premier League player, who I believe has got better with his time at Southampton. It took him a while to adapt from the move from Championship with Birmingham into Southampton. But he's done really well. And I just look at the difference he made when he came on at half time. Scotland looked an entirely different proposition. And just before that wonder goal from Schick, Scotland, they nearly scored, hit the crossbar. It was nearly an own goal. It was a great save from the goalkeeper to try and claw that one back out of the net, which he did. And if one of them go in, I fancy Scotland to go on and win that game. So, and Steve Clark, by the way, has done a brilliant job at Scotland. I'm not, you know, I'm not for one minute suggesting that he hasn't, but I think ultimately he will look back at his own team selection for that Czech game and he'll have regrets
2: perhaps i mean i thought that forest coming on as well like you touched upon a minute ago stefan even though it's quite late in the game i thought he seemed to make a bit of an impact as well on the right when when he came on and it just felt like a little bit too little too late the reason that scotland lost the game was due to patrick schick the header i thought was really really good and there's something so satisfying about seeing a like a planted header kind of ripple the the inside of the side netting it was a really good header but the second goal What a goal to lob David Marshall from probably fully 45 yards. The swerve on the ball, left-footed, perfectly landed in the back of the net. Goalkeeper was scrambling. Unbelievable strike and it's probably going to be goal of the tournament and rightly so. However, I've seen a few on social media and on other forms of media placing plenty of blame at the feet or the gloves of David Marshall. Any blame on the goalkeeper for you,
1: Steph? Um, the blame has to go to Steve Clark for choosing David Marshall over his own Craig Gordon, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, that seems like the most bizarre
2: selection of them all. Nah, nah. I mean, he, 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 is, he is very far out, um, David Marshall. But you can't expect Patrick Schick to pull the trigger from 45 yards and get it on target. I mean, this is the thing. I understand people saying, oh, he's not Manuel Neuer, why is he out of goal? But, I mean as a goalkeeper you're not expecting him to shoot from there that, sometimes yeah. you just have to credit how good the goal is it's a ridiculous finish I, I, th- I
1: think in the modern game most goalkeepers do stand twenty thirty yards outside of their um, off a goal line anyway so it that, that doesn't seem extraordinary what was extraordinary was 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 the finish i mean unbelievable pinpoint accuracy and am i right in saying that um Karol Pawlowski did a similar type of um Goal in Euro '96. or um, I've just made that up. You
2: might. I don't know. I can't remember to be honest. But I mean, Czech Republic have had some great players over the years. So, so. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's, for me, it, it was it was almost like Beckham esque. It was. I've,
1: yeah. I think it was be- better than Beckham's goal against Bradford all them years ago. Um, yeah. yeah uh, that that can't be helped. Um unfortunate i just i just i just go back to that selection again i just wish it was different because the build-up was huge um mm. and there, there was a there's a bit of pride in the air and it, it felt good watching all the old videos of scotland in in uh world cup 98 Um it just just got you in the zone and i just it was just a shame that's how it happened i just felt like steve clark just just um stuck with stuck with a formula and a team that's kind of got in there rather than something more exciting and dynamic. Bring in Billy Gilmore, who's, who's been with a Champions League winning team, or play Patterson, who's just won the won the, uh, the league in Scotland. But it's all about chances. And look, Shit took his chance. The first goal, almost like Alan Shearer, the way he planted that in, beautiful. Uh, and the second goal, 100%, in my opinion, will go down as the goal of the tournament. And the only sad thing is Scotland fans are going to have to watch that over and over and over again. <laughs>
2: Now <laughs> you know how I feel as a Portsmouth fan every time I see that Cristiano Ronaldo free kick it just oh. flew past David James the amount of times I see that on well, replay. When, when oh, Ronaldinho lobbed Seaman for <laughs> 40 yards. I still don't know. I tell you what, you can talk about David Marshall getting the blame. David Seaman was a lot closer to his goal for that Ronaldinho chip and he couldn't keep it out. So let's so you know, we can bear that in mind at least. Um it's just a blinding effort, on, isn't it? That lob. I mean, yeah. I mean, we can wax lyrical about it, but it's not often you see a goal like that, particularly in a major tournament.
3: No, and as well, I mean, it looked as if it was quite a windy day at Hampden. Um, and he's actually, I mean, the bend he's put on that ball. I, listen, you can't, people will crib about Marshall. Why was he this far out? But this is the modern game. Keepers are like sweepers. That's, mm. that's the way they're told to play. So you've just got to take your hat off to Schick. It's just an unbelievable strike. And the bend, yeah. that's what really makes it for me. And it always looked better when it comes from a left foot. It's whatever, <laughs> whatever it is about a left-footed player, when they just do something like that, it just looks like poetry in motion. You've got to give the kid credit. Brilliant header, brilliant second goal. And... Yeah, look, I mean, Scotland will just rue the missed chances. And it's unfortunate for them because, in fairness to them, they've created enough chances to win the game. And that's that's going to be... It's going to be quite hurtful for them and um, when they look back, maybe if they're doing their video analysis, they look at the chances that they missed. But the one thing I would say, I'm not for one minute saying that Scotland are going to go to Wembley and win, but it also becomes... it's. It's a game that they have nothing to kind of lose from in terms of they're going to go all out. They're going to have to try and get something from this game against England. I think if they try and sit back against England, England as we saw against Croatia, they can be patient. They can be quite diligent and wait for the opportunity to present itself, which it will eventually because players get tired, legs get tired, brains get tired, concentration levels drop. This is going to be an This is going to be like a Derby on Friday night at Wembley. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think Scotland they're going to give it one hell of a go. And it promises to be a really exciting game because Scotland, and I echo Stefan's point, why not bring in someone like Gilmore? There's a reason he's at Chelsea. Look at how he played when they when they defeated Liverpool. I can't remember which cup it was in, but or maybe it was a league. I think it was a cup game when he started that game at Stamford Bridge. And I said it yesterday, you had Roy Keel eulogizing about this young kid. It takes a lot for Keane to get excited about a midfield player. And I'll tell you what, he was excited about Gilmore that night. He's just so composed on the ball. Um, It'll be an interesting team selection for Clark because he's got to get this one right. Because he's been brilliant. He's got the Scots to a major tournament for the first time, as we all know, in over 20 years. So he's got to get the team selection right for Friday night.
2: How do you think England fans would have felt watching the game, Stefan? Because obviously it is the Scotland game on Friday, a huge game. And, you know, 25 years on from Euro 96 and the two teams will meet at Wembley again. This is quite, quite strange. Um, and obviously they've got Czechia after that in their final group game. So how do you think Three Lions fans would have felt watching that game yesterday between Scotland and the Czech Republic?
1: They'll feel full of confidence. I don't, I don't think they'll be upset about Scotland coming down at all. Um which pains me to say, but it it allows um England fans and in particular the English media to be dismissive of Scotland, which is potentially the only saving grace if I'm not saying for you know, they're all professionals, I'm not saying for one minute that the England team are gonna go into this thinking it's an easy ride. But um already I think uh in in certain corners of the media and amongst a lot of fans Scotland have already been written off Um, and to be honest after yesterday's uh, result apart from the chances they created you can see why they smell a little bit like bottle merchants Um, and I hope that isn't the case I, I hope they give England a good game but as soon as, as soon as, even even yesterday evening, didn't even have to wait till this morning. There was analysis of oh, terrible Scots go through the pain again. Uh, blah blah blah. It just, <laughs> I'm I'm just annoyed that Scotland, uh, the Scottish national team, have allowed this this English dominated media to give them digs already and that annoys me so hopefully mm. that'll fuel them up let's just get a bit of haggis in us before the game have a few whiskeys and just <laughs> f- do it man
3: that just, is massively just well, <laughs> you know I, I mean? think I think it is Stefan I think this is going to be it's almost like a free hit for Scotland because there's no doubt the english media will say England they've just got to turn up and collect the three points and put them into the knockout stages and you know what when you're when you're on the ground and when you've been beaten 2-0 in your first game and you're coming up against your arch rival, there's nothing like that, you know, to get the fire in the belly warmed up. Maybe watch Braveheart on Friday morning um, <laughs> yeah. and just get yourself ready for a battle because it is going to be a battle. You know, it, 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 like it really is going to be a battle. And as we all know, Derby games, form sometimes goes out the window. England do have a good record against Scotland, however, in recent games. But you just never know what's going to happen on any given night.
2: Is that fire in the belly probably going to come from all the scotch that Stevie Clark's going to have chinned after the defeat to the Czech Republic? <laughs> trying to drown his sorrows all, a little bit. All
1: I'm going to say quickly is that um, you just need to quickly uh, YouTube uh, Scotland, England, uh, 1977, when there was a pitch invasion after Scotland won 2-1 and the Scottish fans lifted the, goal, the goalposts out of the goal mouth and went home with it. I mean, that's what it's all about. And that's what's going to happen on Friday.
2: Come on, Scotland. <laughs> Come on, Stefan. Think in the future, not in the past. Although, just before we do move on, in terms of thinking in more recent history, there was a cracking game, Steph, at Hampden a couple of years ago where it finished 2-2 and there were two blinding free kicks from Scotland in the Lee dying yeah. stages from Lee Griffiths. And then obviously Harry Kane equalised extremely late in the day. So Scotland can take a little bit of comfort out of that, knowing that you no, know, there will be plenty of Tartan army in Wembley. Yeah, but that was at a time when I think Scotland had a bit
1: more firepower up top. Um, yeah. So and and I come back to that always. That's what worries me. Lee Griffiths at the time was out and out the best striker in the SPL. Uh, probably could have taken a move down south. Uh, didn't. Um, unbelievable dead ball specialist. Um, but I don't think Scotland have got that on Friday. Sadly, so it's got it's got to be a. A grit and determination that gets them through rather than individual pieces of brilliance, I okay. think, personally.
2: OK, England versus Scotland is honing into focus not too long away now. A little bit of England team news. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale has just been announced as replacing Dean Henderson in England's Euro 2020 squad. That's because Dean Henderson has picked up a hip issue and will return to Manchester United. So unfortunately for him, he's had to withdraw from the squad. Um, that's obviously Two goalkeepers, so Ramsdale has stepped up to take his place. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you'll know that Leon and the folk over at Boyle Sports have got some cracking offers running throughout the Euros, including your money back as a ten pound free bet on any England game during the tournament. So, if you fancy staking a tenner on England versus Scotland and your first bet loses, you'll have that stake refunded into your account in the form of a free bet. For more information, check the Boyle Sports app or boylesports.com. T's and C's apply. At 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is Football Social daily. We'll have more Euro 2020 chat for you after this. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your Euros podcast edition here from Sports Social. Normally we're a daily Premier League show, but seeing as it's a summer of international tournament football, the Euros are at the forefront of our thinking. Apart from Spain against Sweden, which last night finished 0-0 and was possibly the most boring game of the tournament so far, Leon, We're only five days in, though, and we have seen some great football on the whole, obviously, if we take away that horrible moment with Christian Eriksen, I think this is shaping up to be a real tournament to remember.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it started really well. Um, and you know what's really impressed me? Um, I think like the Italians changing their total philosophy. They just want to go and press and score goals. When they were one 0 up, they wanted the second. When they were two 0 up, they wanted the third. They just kept going, going, going. And you know something? I think they've set the tempo for the tournament because it was the first game. They really laid down a marker under Mancini. That's 28 games unbeaten. I think they're going to go an awful long way in this competition. The Dutch-Ukraine was a game I really, really enjoyed. Um, Like De Boer taking off two defenders when you're 2-0 up. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, He got away with that one, winning 3-2. So from a Dutch perspective, you're hoping that they'll have learned from that. But looking ahead to even tonight's games, um, Hungary against Portugal. I think Portugal have got a really good squad as well. If you look at the Portuguese squad, they've got some serious names in there. Um, Hungary, they're going to struggle in this group. Like Let's be honest. Um, It'll be an achievement if they can get a draw or maybe two draws off any of these sides, because I suspect in this group, Portugal, France, and Germany are going to be looking at Hungary and saying we've got to beat Hungary, because we want to try and get out of this group. Now, obviously, with the top four third-place teams, UEFA have tried to get all big nations into the knockout stages to keep the interest at a huge level. So Portugal, I think, should be looking at this to try and get a couple of goals and to easily see off Hungary. But the later game tonight, it's just melt watering France against Germany. Um, I just love it, even from a bookmaker's perspective. When you have two sides that are not all on. you've got France who are six to four, you've got Germany at nine to five, and you've got the draw at nine to four. It goes to show you that it's going to be a bloody great game. Um, the French squad Nile to me, is probably the best in the tournament. Um, I just think they've got so many options. And you know what they're good at? They're good at winning. Deschamps is a very pragmatic coach. He was a very pragmatic footballer. And he's just transferred that over to being um, a leader of this squad. And the one thing I really admire about him is there's some big names. There's some big egos. But by God, does he have them playing as a team? And when you've got the likes of Mbappe and Griezmann to be supplemented with either Benzema or Giroud. It just strikes fear into opposition defences. You look at Kante and Pogba in the middle of the park, and Pogba just... He's brilliant for France. He really is. Germany, on the other hand, and I'll be interested to hear what Stefan says, but under Joachim Low, this is his last tournament. He's been a very, very good manager for Germany. But is this German side... Are they kind of revolutionary? Are they trying to change now? Or is it the start of something that has to be rebuilt again? Um, I fancy France tonight. I do. I think the French are going to come away with a victory. Um, But I think it's going to be a great game of football. I think it's going to be... I think Germany... I think if you sit back again at France, they will find ways to pick you off. I think the only way you can have a chance against France is go at them. I remember even Ireland... In the 2016 Euros in France, we went 1-0 up, I think it was a Robbie Braby penalty, but we had a go and the French had to work hard to beat us 2-1. Germany are a better side than Ireland. So I think the, the opportunity to get something from the French is to attack them. Don't sit back. Sit back and I think you're already doomed to failure.
2: Yeah, two world champion coaches going head-to-head tonight. Obviously, the reigning world champions in France play Germany. That game kicks off at 8pm in Group F. The early offering in that group is Hungary against Portugal, which is a 5pm kickoff. It is the group of death. Well, let's ask you about Germany then, Stefan. I watched them in their pre-tournament friendly against... I Lampier. think it was Denmark who they played, actually. Played Denmark before that. Um And it was one apiece. Florian Neuhaus scored the Germany goal, remember now. Um, One thing I did notice about the Germans, even though there were some key players missing for that friendly match that I watched, was they've still got this mentality of, even if they're not playing well, they always seem to find a way to score. And that will serve you very, very well in a major tournament. What's the kind of feeling around Germany and you know, it's always dangerous to write the Germans off, even if they're probably not perceived to be the strongest side in their group for once.
1: Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of German media the last few weeks, um, trying to get the German take on it, because the British media take on the Germany team is going to be revolving around more obvious questions. Um, in Germany, first thing to say is they are really, really positive about this Euros. Uh, it seem it seems like the the team have come together and the, the atmosphere in the camp there. Is very very good. Uh, if you compare that back to the World Cup, where they had a bit of a shocker, um, they've not got any of these problems. They've not got the high publicity of Sane getting dropped. They've not got uh, Gund- Gundogan, um causing a political storm going to Turkey, getting pictures taken with the Turkish president. Uh, none of that's <laughs> happening. Uh, the other thing that I've done, you're talking about talking a little bit about a rebuilding of a Germany team. They've kind of they've kind of gone back to to a bit of a, a bit of a formula that works for them they um, they brought Hummel's back in
0: Um mm.
2: they played five at the backs uh, in some of the pre-tournament games
1: yeah they'll they'll play three play at the back um in germany they call it the dreierkette uh, the, the chain of three um, and Hummel's will be at the back of a chain of three there um the other big news obviously is that Muller's back and in germany they call him radio muller radio muller um just because he talks, talks, talks. Uh, and he's <laughs> he's he's the one who sets the atmosphere in that camp. Mm. So that's massive. But the the biggest problem that the Germans are facing, uh, to be fair, we're talking talking about all these all these players that France have gotten with we've, we've reeled them off. You can do the same with Germany, so much so that um uh, Joshua Kimmich, uh who, who's an out and out number six, uh, plays in the centre for Bayern, um there's no space for him because they don't want to drop Tony Crows and they don't want to get rid of Gundogan. So they're having to play Kimmich um, almost as a right winger. Um, so that's the biggest problem. They're, they're talking about that constantly in Germany. They're calling it the Kimmich problem. It's just there's nowhere to play potentially our best player. And it reminds me a little bit of um, England back in the day, um, having, having three very good midfield players. Somebody's got to play out of position. And that domino effect's happening in Germany right now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about that uh, against France tonight. But, yeah, France France are pre-tournament favourites. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But the players that, that uh, Germany have got, they can just blow anybody away. I think I think bringing a bit of that experience, that 2004 World Cup winning experience back into the frame and then letting some of these younger players really go out and express themselves, probably for the first time properly in the tournament. I know Timo Werner had a bit of a go at the last World Cup, but it didn't really work out for him. But now you're bringing in players... Um, uh, like Kai Havertz uh players
2: like Goretzka and um Kimmich Serge and- Nabry as well I think Serge Nabry's got 15 goals in 20 Germany caps so it's yeah. a pretty crazy record he's got yeah. too
1: Yeah it's 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 this it's this um Bayern Munich skeleton it just works and that, that's every every good Germany team is based on a good Bayern Munich skeleton so mm. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling really really good about Germany this year, uh, you've got
2: me worried now, Stefan. Because the winner of Group F, or the sorry, second in Group F, plays the winner winner of the England yeah. Scotland Group Group D. So now but, I'm getting the cold sweats thinking oh. about coming up against the Germans. <laughs> exactly. I just I just can't think of a of, of a
1: bad player in a single position for Germany. Uh, likewise with France. And to be honest with you, Portugal are probably the third team in this tournament who have in that similar mm. uh, position where every single player is absolute dynamite in each position. So unlucky hungry you're going home yep. early but the, <laughs> the, the other three i mean they, they they could they could all go far into the competition um so yeah it it feel it feels good for germany um there's there's positivity in germany they need to win their fans back around again because they've lost it a little bit um mm. but i've got to say uh yogi low um one of one of the all-time greats in german football uh history, um, it's his last tournament. I'm glad that it's his last tournament. His legacy is already there. Yeah. So um, this, to me, just seems like the perfect way to round it off for the guy.
2: Yeah, World Cup win in Brazil in 2014 was very memorable indeed, particularly the semi-final against the Brazilians. I mean, that's a, a legendary game on the international stage. And uh, it's, it's strange because Portugal are the reigning European champions, France, the reigning world champions and Germany, as we've already discussed, so successful in tournament football over many, many decades. You've got to feel for Hungary, who scored two goals in two minutes in their playoff game against Iceland to even qualify for the Euros and then they get placed into this group with these other three teams. You have to kind of feel for them a little bit. What's the, the odds looking like in terms of favourites to get out of this group, Leon? Because even though... Stefan has kind of talked up Germany there. It still feels that they're almost the third favourite to get out of the group behind Portugal and France. Would that be a a fair assessment, do you think?
3: That's exactly right. That's what they are Um, in terms of the betting, um, in terms of this particular group. uh, The Germans are third favourites. France are favourites. Portugal second favourites and Germany third favourites. However, there's not a big discrepancy in the prices and look as Stefan said there we all know the quality that the German side possesses and Germany big tournaments they come alive that's what they do but you've just alluded to it there isn't it amazing we've got the last two World Cup winners and the last Euro winners in this particular group so they're all blessed with winning the biggest Tournaments in terms of international football that they can win and Because of the way it's structured the three of them are going to be in the knockouts so in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I think all three sides will be in the last 16 draw and (laughs) It it just means then that it doesn't really matter what happens in the well I suppose it does matter what happens in the group because it will shape who you play in the next round but as you said whoever finishes runner-up in this group is going to play England and yeah. i'll tell you what england are gonna have their <laughs> hands full they are gonna absolutely have their hands full and wouldn't it be just um in the lap of the gods in terms of germany v england last 16. i can just actually i can actually nearly see it now at wembley germany against england last 16 but it just to me however i do feel the french will get over the line tonight i i i think it'll be close um i was actually looking Just at the prices to try and get something that's a little bit kind of decent. And I think when you look at kind of both teams, I think both of these sides have enough in their locker that both of them will score. So I'm going to go with both teams to score and France just to win it. And remember, this is in Germany tonight, right? This game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So look, that will help Germany. But I just feel that the French, I've just been watching them and. They, they just seem so in sync with each other. And do you know the one thing I do like about them as well is that even though they've got a prolific international goal scorer in Olivier Giroud, they've got a guy coming back from the international wilderness in Karim Benzema. But when you look at how they spread the goals around, that's the one thing that I think the French might just have above the Germans, that if, if Mbappe's not having a great night, Griezmann can chip in. If Griezmann's not on fire, you might see a goal from Benzema or Mbappe. It just they've just got different options, and and then
2: Giroud that... off the bench, Leon, just in case.
3: Well, exactly. <laughs> and look, you've got to give him a lot of credit. Yeah. I mean, what what is it 40, 47 or forty eight international goals? Mm. I mean, it's an unbelievable record. And the one thing that Giroud offers is if he if he gets a chance, you fancy him to score for France. Benzema has got a bit more about him in terms of he can work the line a bit more than Giroud. He's not just a target man. He's got a bit about him. He's got a bit of pace about him. And I think it's a good move by Deschamps to bring him back in because he just gives you an extra extra kind of striker to rely upon. Timo Werner, I've been impressed with him in his first season with Chelsea. And the reason I say that is he's getting in the correct positions. Okay, he hasn't been as prolific as he would have liked. But I think there would have been a bigger problem if he wasn't in the position to get the chance in the first place. And I think with age, with experience, he's got to top on to the offside rule. That's one of the things that does quite infuriate me. It is quite important Werner. as a
2: striker, isn't it? <laughs> to know the it offside rule.
3: <laughs> and especially with VAR, you're not going to have any chance of getting a decision going your way. So he's got to just go two yards back because he has the pace. I don't think there's many guys that would beat him in a one-on-one sprint. He's that quick over the first five or ten yards. So I hope for Werner he has a good tournament. Kai Havertz, Champions League winning goalscorer, his confidence has got to be sky high. And I think for Germany, he'll play in the right position, just in behind a kind of a striker. So, look, it sets up to be an enthralling game. But I'm just going for the French to nick it 2 1.
2: France Germany tonight at the Allianz Arena in Munich. Euro 2020's Group F looks mouthwatering to say the least. The 5 pm kickoff in that group, Hungary against reigning European champions. Portugal really really exciting tournament and uh, who knows who England will face in the last 16 that is why I've been holding off on saying it's coming home and all of this stuff because you just know what's going to happen in the last 16 England are going to have a tough test if they do make it through their group of course all the latest odds you can find at boilsports.com or on the boilsports app don't forget t's and c's do apply 18 plus be that's it for today's football social daily thank you very much Stefan good luck to Germany and Scotland I can't believe I'm saying that as an England supporter, but there we go. Cheers, <laughs> mate.
1: I, I can't wait to sit in the uh, in the pub for the uh, for the next round match, uh, Germany against England, in my Germany shirt. Just sat
2: back, smiling. <laughs> Thanks very much, as well, Leon. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak to you again as the Euros roll on, and uh, all the latest odds, as I say, over at Boilsports.com and on the app. But that's it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll catch you again tomorrow.